AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. We're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. But where do you start? Unless you're a medical bill expert, finding savings can seem impossible. Well, HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance and flags errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. So start saving with knowing where to look. Visit HealthLock.com today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home brought to you by toyota let's go places welcome to forward thinking hey there and welcome to forward thinking the podcast that looks at the future and says i spend my cash on looking flash and grabbing your attention i'm jonathan strickland i'm lauren volkelbaum and i'm joe mccormick so uh guys Yes, Jonathan. We, we've tackled on this podcast some pretty heavy topics in the past. Uh, spiders is a big one. Bees. Bees, another big one. Mosquitoes. You know, a lot of these I was not present for. <laughs> uh, I think, I think actually, were, were you present for any of them? I think it was no, there. Oh, spiders. Spiders. I'm spiders. For spiders. Yeah. For well, a while. They're, but they're not an insect. That's true. They're a creepy crawly. Yes. Yeah. For a while, every time you were out of the office, Jonathan, Lauren and I would record a podcast about some insect. And to be fair, you chose this topic when it looked like I wasn't going to be in the office. Yes. Uh, and then 
Fortune smiled upon me, and it turns out I am here to talk about ants. Yes, the future of ants. Oh, why? I mean, come on, guys. Can we talk about like I don't know the 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 future of 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 slow, slow lorries or or the future? Can, can we the future of koalas? I'll, or I'll do I'll do that episode. Okay. I well, mean, well, I guess we got to get through this one first. No, okay. Next time we'll do uh, sloth tech. Uh, I'm a big fan of sloths. I love sloths. They are adorable. They're pretty creepy. My but... favorite sloth is extinct. The the, the giant, giant sloth. sloth. Like, yeah, the oh, one that's right. like like bigger than a bear. Yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> terror comes for you slowly. You just see it creeping up. No, we're gonna talk about ants. Ants are actually fascinating. They actually they really are. are, and they may inspire some really interesting technologies of the future. So first, let's just talk about. Ants in general. So <clears throat> did you guys know that there are more than 10,000 ant species already identified by us, the human beings here uh, on this earth? As in there might be plenty more out there. Sure. There could be species that we have had limited or no contact with that we have yet to identify. In fact, there's one ant we're going to be talking about later in this podcast that for a long time had been misidentified. Hmm. And uh, as a result, um, the handling of that ant never really went into action, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Anyway, yeah, there are a lot of different types of ants out there. And in fact, they can be found just about everywhere on Earth. There are a few exceptions where there are no native species of ants. Antarctica, for example, you don't got any snow ants up there or ice ants. No ants in Antarctica. I know it's, it's anti-Antarctica. It's kind of crazy. crazy. Yeah. Antarctica ironically is the is one of the places where you're not going to find it. I guess in ants. really cold places, so near the North Pole you probably don't have. Yeah, Greenland, Iceland, they don't have native species of ants. Uh parts of Polynesia do not have any native species of ants, and there are a few remote islands in say the the Indian Ocean or that, that don't have them either, but otherwise you can pretty much find them everywhere. Uh they're really prevalent in tropical regions and can make up more than half of all the insects within a tropical wow. forest, for example. Huh. Where do where do ants fit in the uh, sort of the family tree of insects? They belong to the same order as wasps and bees. Okay. So uh, they're very similar. If you, by the way, uh, are ever wondering if perhaps a little insect you have encountered is either an ant or a termite, look to see if they have a very thin waist. Essentially, is what you're you're looking between the thorax and the abdomen. Uh, if they don't, it's a termite. If they do, it's an ant. Simple rule of, of thumb there. Uh, most species of ant live in permanent colonies that they establish in some location. It might be uh, tunnels under the ground. It might be a mound that's on top of the ground. Uh, it could be in trees or wood. Carpenter ants are famous for being really destructive around houses. Most ants do live in these colon these permanent colonies, but there are some exceptions. Army ants, for example, do not have a permanent nest. They migrate. So their colony actually will move from place to place, and you will get these massive army ant migrations, which are the stuff of nightmares. Uh, then you also have the fact that ant colonies are centered around a queen ant. So this sounds very familiar to anyone who's studied bees. I mean, the queen bee idea, it's uh -huh. very similar. Right. Um, the queen ant lays eggs. Those eggs will develop into either female ants, which are the worker ants. They do all the hard work. 
uh, including building the colonies, gathering food, all that kind of stuff. And taking care of the larvae. Yep. Yeah. Then you have the male ants whose job it is. Yeah. They, their job is to knock up the queen. That's all they do. That's it. And most of, in, not most, but in several ant species, lots of them, uh, the males will die after mating with the queen. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much, uh, the, you know, fairly standard. You have one job. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, not being terribly, uh, you're not really exaggerating there, Joe. So normally, you know, ants communicate chemically with uh, each other. Through pheromones. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and a little bit by touch, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Ma- ma- mainly it's through chemicals. Like uh, most ant species, if they are traveling someplace, they lay down a, a pheromone trail. Mm-hmm. So this tells other ants that this is the the pathway that was taken to get to some location, usually like food. This is actually interesting. You can disrupt the pheromone trail with your finger. If you ever see ants moving along a line mm-hmm. uh, and you just drag your finger across the line of ants, watch what happens. It totally breaks their, their concentration. The ones in, in, in behind that are about to move across where you've just dragged your finger, they start acting confused. Where do I go? Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, there's a... Uh... Uh, several visual gags in uh, A Bug's Life that kind of play on that, except, of course, it's not a pheromone trail. They they do it where it's just like a a, a, a sudden um, obstacle moves in the way and that disrupts everything, which is a little simplification. But, hey, it's a Pixar movie and it's adorable. Uh, then there are specific the specific type of ant that we wanted to refer to that are just kind of interesting that uh, relate to technology, but not in a good way. No, well, so you've heard about the fire ant invasion yes. of the United States. And uh, yeah, and which are scary and painful and terrible. Yeah. Yeah, we got a new one now. Yeah. Crazy ants. Uh, specifically tawny crazy ants or raspberry crazy ants. Mm-hmm. Uh, raspberry named after the, the, uh, the, the fruit? No, not the fruit. <laughs> a lot of people think that. No, it's actually named after the, uh, uh, exterminator who discovered these ants living in Texas. Oh. So in 2002, there was this this guy who uh, encountered these particular types of ants that people were really kind of um, getting perturbed over because, one, the ants, the reason why they're called crazy ants is when they are running around, like, on your kitchen floor or something. Or on your flesh. They seem to be going every which way. There's no apparent rhyme or reason to it's, it. It's not that ants go marching one by one kind of thing. No, it's, it's like it's, they're just going all over the place. Right. And, yeah. And all like, willy-nilly. And, and their pathway is not like a straight line to wherever they're going. They're going mm-hmm. left, right, everywhere. Uh, also, they seemed to be infesting electronics. Yeah. Uh, really, the there was a theory for a while that perhaps the ants were attracted to either electric fields or magnetic fields. Science does not seem to bear that out. Experiments have not bared that out. What they what the current hypothesis is, is that they just love to find places to nest and they will go anywhere that's kind of an enclosure to nest in them. And if an ant one of these crazy ants encounters something that harms it, like, say, electricity, it gives off a pheromone that's an alarm pheromone, which is essentially a signal to say, hey, I need some help over here. And then other crazy ants will zoom in and go straight to try and help them. Now, in the case of electronics, those ants may in turn get hurt and then they give off these pheromones and then more and more ants come. So what you end up with is a device that shorts out because the because, ants short circuit it. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the ant bodies are literally 
disrupting the circuit and frying themselves. Yeah. And so you'll have stories about <laughs> there's stories about things like there was a story about a guy who was using an iron. The iron shorts out, uh, sparks fly out, and then ants just pour out of the iron. Or someone is watching television and the television ends up flickering and then going out. And so they go and look at it and they remove the back panel of the television and it's just ants everywhere. And we're talking thousands wow. upon thousands of these ants. Now, when I told you earlier about the misidentification of ants, this is the species I was talking about. Okay. When scientists were first looking at these ants, see, see, Raspberry was trying to tell people we need to figure out a strategy to handle this now. Because this is a thing. This is a thing that's happening. And it's going to get worse before it gets better, because if we don't address it, we're going to have a full-on infestation of, like, a plague-level event here. And uh, meanwhile, you had the government saying, well, you don't know anything about these ants, so we can't, we're not going to give you any money. And the scientists are saying, well, without any money, we can't learn anything about these ants. And it became this catch-22. Meanwhile, the scientists also misidentified, or at least one uh, entomologist um, misidentified the ant as being the same species as one that had become entrenched in Florida in the 1950s. Ah. But Raspberry said, hey, I don't think so, because those ants in Florida, we have never heard of any problems like the of ones we're behavior. experiencing in Texas. Right. And ultimately, he ended up doing a lot of research on his own, which uh, there's a great article about his research where uh, it reveals about the New York Times article yeah, about it, crazy ants. It reveals, yeah, y'all should check this out. It reveals that he hates reading. He <laughs> he, he he didn't go to college. Um, he's not big on research, but he was obsessed with this idea, and so he really looked into it. And then eventually, they were able to identify the ant as actually belonging to a species native to Brazil and Argentina, okay, not to Florida. And they suspect that uh, bringing in soil or perhaps building materials uh, were what introduce the ants to Texas and the southeastern United States, the Gulf states, essentially. Uh, right. So these things uh, do end up clogging up a lot of electronics. There were there were lots of reports. I remember when this first started happening, when people started talking about it, where everyone said, oh, they, they actually crave electricity. But that's not what that is seems not the to case. be happening. Although they're, they're interesting in other ways as well. I, they're basically the xenomorphs of the ant world. Yeah. You, you know, so... Fire ants are also an invasive species in the United States. Uh, specifically in the areas that crazy ants tend to be found in, like Texas. Yeah, and here in Georgia as well. Crazy ants are also in Georgia, guys. Don't know if you knew that. Fire um, ants have a pretty nasty sting. Yes. They clamp onto you with their jaws and then stab repeatedly with their stinger. And, and it's, it has it's, a tough venom. Yeah, mm -hmm. I uh, I react poorly to fire ant stings. Um, I get... I get uh, nasty little bumps everywhere where there was a sting. And mm -hmm. I used to encounter them quite a bit when I was mowing my lawn. I now have someone else doing that for me. But at any rate, you know, normally fire ants, as big of a nuisance as they are, don't cause the kind of problems that crazy ants do. They don't they aren't as invasive into the human home as crazy ants are. However, crazy ants have a couple of abilities that really make them formidable opponents of the fire ant. One is that they can coat themselves with chemicals that counteract fire ant venom, which means they can fight longer against a fire ant. They also, instead of a stinger, have a little appendage that allows them to spray acid against other ants. What? Yeah. 
<laughs> so Xenomorph was pretty accurate. They are able to spew acid on their opponents. And I, I read a report where, that said something along the lines of in uh, encounters between fire ants and crazy ants, crazy ants win something like 90% of the time. And that wow. even in an experiment where uh, scientists uh, covered up the uh, uh, the 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 glands essentially that the ants were using to cover themselves in the anti venom, uh, they won fifty three percent of the time. So, like, like, wow! Even when your your chief defense has been removed, you're still who's, winning more. Well, than Who's half been the time. arranging these scientific bug fights? Well, is that it, there's is an that ant, real research. There's an ant thunderdome in Texas um, <laughs> where they do these experiments, and uh, yeah, so the crazy ants are the master and the blaster in this Thunderdome world. So very interesting creatures. Um, obviously when we wanted, we wanted to talk about specifically because of their relationship with electronics and the misunderstanding that they crave electricity. Oh, also they're, they're just really cool, but, but right. So, so let us transition here by saying that ants do more than just really mess up electronics. As it turns out, uh, they might inspire new electronics in the future. Yeah, specifically things like computer algorithms and artificial intelligence algorithms. Uh, so we wanted to talk about navigation specifically. This idea, you know, ants exhibit some interesting behaviors, including with certain species, the ability to range out really far, like 200 meters away from their nest. Which when you're only like 3.5 millimeters long is not that's, shabby. That's a, that's a, a quite a, a great distance. Uh, what's really interesting is not only are they able to do that, but they can visit various locations while foraging for food. When they find a place that has food and they, they're ready to return to the nest, they don't retrace their steps, right? They don't Let's say they go to three different points and it's not in a straight line. So they venture out from the nest. They go to point one. Then they maybe take a left turn and go forward for a while and they visit point two and they make another left turn and they visit point three. Well, once they found point three and they said, this is the place we want to go. I need to go back to the nest. Uh, they don't retrace their steps back to points two and one and then go back home. They plot a course that essentially goes in a straight line back to the nest, as much of a straight line as they possibly can manage, which raises the question, how do they do yeah. that thing? That's I'm curious. That's odd. So uh, when it comes down to navigation, scientists have uh, pretty much identified there being some combination of elements going into effect here. One is path integration. One is uh, visual piloting uh, or, you know, seeing landmarks. And one is called uh, systematic search. And so here's how this breaks down. First, you've got path integration. Now, this is that idea that I was just talking about, the ability to visit multiple locations and then find your way back home. So uh, as an example I gave for the humans, because I think this is is helpful if you're having trouble visualizing this. Sure. Imagine that you have errands to run mm -hmm. and you have to go to multiple places to run these errands. And so you leave your house. Uh, you have to go to the store to pick up some non-perishable stuff that you're just going to throw into the car. So you go and you store and you pick that up. Then you got to go and you got to uh, uh, pick up some dry cleaning that you had over at a totally different location. So you drive from the store to the dry cleaning okay. place. Then you decide, oh, wait, I've also got uh, my copy of uh, the 2006 version of Wicker Man starring Nicolas Cage. Uh, and I need to return that to Videodrome. Uh, which is in a totally different location from the dry cleaners. Videodrome is a video store here in Atlanta. It's, it's a pretty fabulous one. It's pretty amazing. So uh, anyway, you go to Long Videodrome. Live the new flesh. <laughs> you go to Videodrome and you return uh, the Wicker Man. 
um, and they say thank you. But at that point, you're ready to go home. Now, you would not, if you you know know your way around, you would not drive from Videodrome back to the dry cleaners and from the dry cleaners back to the store and from the store to your home. You would go from Videodrome to your home. Yeah. Same sort of thing with animals, but they don't have the kind of uh, processing power that we have. Ant brains are like a milligram. I mean, we're talking super small. So how can a creature this tiny, this with with this limited number of, of neurological resources, be able to do something so seemingly complex as plot a straight line path from a, 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 a distant destination rather than retracing steps to get back to the starting point? And uh, th- there's some disagreement or at least some debate on what's going on. A lot of it is just based upon the fact that we don't definitively know. Um, but there's a specific type of desert ant that really displays this behavior that's been uh, uh, under a lot of scrutiny for years. In fact, if you look up path integration in ants, you're going to see multiple scientific papers written on the subject. So one of the uh, hypotheses about this is that it's all based on an egocentric uh, methodology rather than geocentric. Okay, so the ant is sort of relating itself to its previous self rather than itself to its surroundings. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially it's, it's not remembers its own position rather than having to look and see where it is. Right. It's not making like a, a, a mental map of its surroundings. It's thinking of where it is in relation to its nest, but it's not, it's not mapping things out thinking, Oh, to the East of me is a puddle and to the West of me, you know, it's not like that. It's, very, very uh, egocentric, centered so upon the end itself. It would be almost like if you ran your errands by remembering how exactly how far you drove and at what degree angles you turned at each leg of the trip. Uh, that's part of it, actually. There's So ants have an odometer. It is not a little dial that <laughs> tells it how far it went. Essentially, this is uh, information that relates to the distance and grade that the ant has traveled. So whether it's a downslope, upslope, whether it was to the left, to the right, that kind of thing, how far it went, uh, generally speaking. Uh, bees can track the same kind of information, and we talked about that at, at length during our bee episode. Right. So this is all part of path integration, right? You're being able to integrate that information, but you integrate it with something else. And in this case, it's with polarized light. Uh which bees do as well. Yeah. So the ants are able to sense polarized light. They use it as a compass, essentially. Uh, which is really nifty because the light of the sun is polarized in such a way that, that if you can detect that polarization, you can navigate by the sun even when it's cloudy. Right. Yeah. You you Just through the polarization of the light itself. So essentially you're saying, oh, the light is polarized in this way when I'm going in this direction. So when I'm coming from this other direction, it should look this other way. So that's part of it. Then you've got the, the landmark navigation, which is just what it sounds like, that the ants identify specific geographic landmarks and are able to relate that as a point along their travels. This seems to be the major way that I think humans navigate. Yeah, it's well, there's that in Google Maps. But yes, um, so uh, this in AI would relate back to image processing, being able to not just uh, uh, detect an image, but to be able to recognize it particularly being able to recognize it from different angles. Right. So uh, we talk about this a lot. Image processing is huge. You know, it's not just that you're able to show it a picture of 
let's say, a coffee cup. And then you show it a, a picture of that same coffee cup in the same position, and it says, oh, that's the same thing. Well, what if you take the picture from the opposite side so that the handle is on the opposite side of the coffee cup? Mm-hmm. Can it still... uh can it still uh, identify that? What if you're closer so the coffee cup is larger? These are all things that have to be taken into account with artificial intelligence and being able to build a system that's able to recognize an object and understand orientation, distance, that kind of thing. Then there's just systematic search. This right. is just that idea of being able to go through an area and uh, and figure out where you are in relation to some other point that you know. Which is obviously useful for artificial intelligence in lots of ways. Obviously, yes. Uh, it's it's also useful when searching for something to forage. So if an uh, ant is looking for food sources, this would be an uh, appropriate method. But also uh, sometimes ants will lose their way when they're trying to come back. Like they'll, uh, w- uh, some experiments have shown that ants can tend to underestimate how far they have traveled. And so that can cause some issues when they are coming back. They don't always have like a com- I hate to use beeline as the term. Huh. <laughs> they don't always, they don't always have a completely accurate return home. And sometimes they get to the general area of where their nest is and they have to do a systematic search in order to nail down, oh, this is specifically the way I need to go. So yeah, pretty cool stuff. Now, if you were to incorporate these sort of strategies in AI, you could easily see the benefits specifically for something like a robot. Right. You would have this ability to have robots have a centralized headquarter type location. They could travel outward from that, explore, go to multiple other locations and then return back to headquarters without retracing their steps and wasting energy. Yeah, you can already see some of these types of uh, search strategies that we see in animals showing up in robots that are very simple, like maybe the Roomba. Mm-hmm. Sure. If you just think about the way a Roomba navigates a room. OK, so it tries to vacuum all the different parts of the floor in a room. How does it do that? Well, it has to have a system. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, that's a very simple application. Right. Think about a robot that needs to navigate an area in a much more complex way, like it needs to reach different nodes in a different order or mm-hmm. do, with a different time frame or yeah. something like that. In these cases, studying the way ants and other swarming insects move can be really important in coming up with the most efficient ways to tell a robot how to navigate its surroundings, especially with limited computational power like these insects have. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Limited computational power is important because that means that you need less energy to operate the robot. And they can be smaller. Right. So these, you know, less energy is good, especially if you're talking about sending robots to really distant places like Mars. Yeah. Uh, so in this case, we're looking more at ant colonies than than individual ants. Yeah. Right. right. Well, sorry. Yeah, I, I, I may have made the jump there. We were just talking about an individual ant. But what about the swarm as a whole? Sure. You, if you take this same sort of approach where you have the individual robot going out and doing this kind of work. You can already see how that would be beneficial in applications like establishing a colony. You know, Mars One talks about having robots sent up to establish all the the hard work that would be required for the colonists to be able to just sort of land on Mars and then move in. This is the kind of stuff that would be necessary for the robot to be able to to uh, go around an entire area uh, autonomously because controlling a robot live is impossible. I mean, you're talking about at least a, a 10 or 12 minute delay at the best of times between Mars and Earth. So you would want something that's at least semi-autonomous. But then if you add in the idea of a an entire group of robots, a swarm of robots, all using this sort of behavior 
and all interconnected, you really see how a colony works and you see how it could be really beneficial for AI. Of course, studying how ant colonies work might be good for more than just actual movement, right? Sure, yeah. So specifically, when you look at how ant colonies operate and you see how ants go out and forage for food, uh, ants may go out, uh, individual ants may go out in various directions. So you've got lots of different potential sources of food. And uh, potential paths to get there. Exactly. And so then you have ants returning to the nest and uh, they may be laying down a pheromone trail to say, this is the pathway we need to take because food is back behind me. And other ants, when they encounter the pheromone trail, know to follow that trail and then they'll eventually get to whatever the, the first, the exploratory ant has found. Well, with the way these pheromone trails work, uh, the longer ones, they, they evaporate over time. Mm-hmm. So the longer ones will evaporate faster than the shorter ones. Like if it's long enough, it might evaporate before another ant is able to go the entire length of it. And like you were saying, Joe, when you get to the end of that pheromone trail and there's nothing left, the ant doesn't know where else to go. So it essentially turns around and goes back. Shorter pheromone trails are uh, more likely to be followed by ants. They tend to be established and made more uh, permanent. And so the ants really focus on the short path. Now, short path for ants means less time and energy spent trying to get food from a, a distant location back to the nest. Now, take all that that's very useful for ants in the physical real world mm-hmm. and turn that into an abstraction. Right. Just think about the abstract version of trying to find something. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a thing in a place. It could be a solution to a problem. Sure. Mm-hmm. You you could have a problem that could have multiple potential solutions. Like a mathematical problem, sure. for example. And using an algorithm that is, in effect, aping the behavior of an ant colony, you could end up having uh, a similar behavior where the algorithm directs the focus of the computer, it's, I'm using very vague terms here to, to kind of explain the point, uh, on whichever solution is revealing itself first. So that way, it does not waste time and energy pursuing other potential solutions that are further off, you know, in a figurative sense. So it is a way of increasing efficiency reducing the amount of energy consumption. All of these are obviously really important uh, concepts, no matter whether you're talking about like the distant Martian exploration I was just mentioning, or you're talking about an application here on Earth. Obviously, limiting the amount of energy that you have to expend to get to an outcome is a positive thing. Oh, sure. So, yeah, it's really kind of a cool idea of adapting this behavior we find in nature to a more abstract application within the computer world. Sure. Right. Uh, Okay, but I want to talk about fire ants again. Uh, All right. (laughs) See, Lauren has a jar here, and Jonathan, she wants you to close your eyes. I'm already, look, we, you know, you guys got me with the blood episode when you made (laughs) me do that, so (laughs) I'm not doing it again for ants. Forget it. We're just kidding. Okay. We would never cover Jonathan and ants. No, no especially not fire ants. No, thank you. I appreciate maybe, it. Maybe crazy ants, because that would be cray. <laughs> that would be a little crazy. All right. Well, what about fire ants did you want to know? I mean, they, 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 they're nasty. <laughs> they bite. They sting. They're amazing at biting and stinging. They're very effective at it. Fire I ants, agree. the future of biting. I don't know. But they, no, they also do a lot of other really interesting things. Their swarming behavior 
might teach us all kinds of lessons that could be potentially applied to technology. Uh, one of the things we want to talk about here is uh, some research about fire ant tunneling yeah. behavior and how that might apply to technology. So uh, fire ants, when they make their tunnels, they, they make these underground tunnels, they do so in such a way where they are uh, not going to, to fall down the tunnel. That would obviously be a bad uh a bad way for them to evolve. Yeah. So they're really effective at making tunnels that allow them to travel at full speed underground uh, with very little chance of them falling. And it's interesting because their tunnels are actually built to a size that's uh, essentially the, the width of the tunnel is about the same as the length of the ant. Mm-hmm. It's also really interesting. It does not matter what kind of soil they're going through, whether it's really finely uh, powdered soil or large grains of soil, it's still that same ratio, which is kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, and they they texture their tunnels to provide natural footholds. So, so in case of emergency, they can use their entire bodies, basically uh, antenna included, to stop themselves from falling. Yeah, the antenna revelation was one that really surprised the researchers because it was an adaptive use of antenna that they had not expected. They just figured that the antenna was going to be used to help sense the environment and communicate, but not to actually help in the case of an ant losing its its footing. They shook these ants like crazy, by the way. It reminded me of For a science. Scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, we should say the research is being done out of the, the, the fire ant lab, so to speak, at <laughs> Georgia Tech. They've got a lot of interesting fire ant research going on there. They do. They have robots and fire ants. I am terrified. Also, yeah. I went to I went to the rival school, the Georgia Tech. Uh, so I'm sure it's only a matter of time before robot fire ants chase me down. Uh, it's pretty likely, I think. They forgive and forget, unlike you. <laughs> That's true. So, so this research was published in 2013. It was called Climbing, Falling, and Jamming During Ant Locomotion in Confined Environments. And the reason that it's being done at, at Georgia Tech is that uh, they're really hoping that it will transfer into research about how to how, how to get robots to tunnel around and maybe do search and rescue. Yeah, that would be a big one. Yeah. Like imagine an, imagine a disaster like a mining disaster. We've seen lots of or a building collapse that, or something. Yeah, yeah. anything anything where people could potentially be trapped underground and you need to have the ability to quickly respond in a safe way that's not going to compromise the the area and also will allow your your responding team to be able to concentrate on the the areas they need to as quickly as possible. Oh, sure. I, I could also see just for exploration in general, sure. having this kind of robot would, would be very useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in 2014, they published another paper out of the same labs, I believe, called Fire Ants Actively Control Spacing and Orientation Within Self-Assemblages. Okay, Wait, what? so I love this. Fire Ants, mm-hmm. it turns out, can make things like rafts and bridges. Out of what? And misery. Out of themselves. That's incredible. Swarms of fire ants actually exhibit many of the properties we imagine in future self-assembling and self-healing robots and materials. Uh, you have a really great quote in here from from one David Hu, who is one of the researchers who's working on this. Yeah, he's a Georgia Tech researcher. He I, There are several great quotes I've lifted from videos of him talking about his ant research. One of the things he says about fire ants is, 
you can consider them as both a fluid and a solid. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, so like if you take this big old ball of fire ants, uh, like they do, if you compress it, it can bounce back to its original shape like an elastic solid. But if you say toss a stick through the middle of this ball of ants, they'll flow around it like a liquid. It's fascinating. They have to be stopped. No, they don't. No, they, they must be encouraged. Have you ever stepped in a pile of fire ants? I think this is amazing. Another thing that David Hu said in a video about his fire ant research was that ants are opaque. You can't see through them. <laughs> That's accurate. That no, is the, he no said no. Untrue. Okay, that makes it sound like he's crazy. No, the reason he said that was he was explaining why you might need to use something like uh, computerized tomography scanning to understand what's happening when these ants link together and form these sort of fluid or solid structures out mm -hmm. of many of their bodies. Why would you why would you even do that? Why would you analyze ants with CT scanning? Oh, well, because we, we were hoping to figure out how exactly they form these structures that are so interesting that can react like a like a fluid or a solid. Yeah. So imagine you've got a kiddie pool okay. sitting there. All right. And on top of the water are ants but not individual ants, mm -hmm. and not sinking. Instead, you have a grafted-together floating buoy of ants, this raft of ants. It's sort of an arc of ants made by ants, of for ants. ants, out of ants. You just, you just <laughs> never want me to stop screaming. Nope. Okay. Uh, no, this is amazing. And so what these researchers at Georgia Tech were looking into was how these ants link together. And what who said was that we might have expected the ants to fall together sort of in parallel. The thing he compares that to is like grains of rice. Uh -huh. But what did they do? No, they did not link together in parallel. Uh, yeah, they, they link together perpendicularly in these these T-junctions, which yeah. is a lot stronger of a configuration. Um, and and it's a lot of junctions. In in this one experiment, he flash froze an ant raft, okay, and, and scanned it with, with this microscale computerized tomography or CT scanner and observed that on average, each ant was connected to 4.8 of its neighbors using an average of 14 connection points and up to 21 connection points in the case of bigger ants. This was including their the, the claws on the edges of their legs and also their mandibles. And <laughs> he observed that of the 440 ants that were scanned in, within this raft, 99% of them had all of their legs connected to their neighbors. So they were doing this really efficiently. And, and most of them, furthermore, had their legs outstretched in order to increase the distance between each other ant and thus improve the raft's buoyancy. Uh, furthermore, smaller ants tended to surround each larger ant to help kind of fill in the gaps so that there wouldn't be too many holes where water could get in. Uh, huh. So, in other words, they're really good at doing this. They yeah. are, like, creepy, awesome good at making this go. And um, f furthermore, when they're, you know, like, alive and not frozen, they're continually reacting to changes in their environment and, and the reactions of their neighbors to the environment, thus moving around in the mass and forming and reforming their little anti-connections. Yeah. Why would they... Why did we allow this to happen? Why, what possible purpose does no, this serve? It, it actually does useful. provide a survival advantage in uh, the wild. Yeah, yeah. In, in most of their native environments, uh, there's pretty frequent flooding. And so, you know, 
also an, an also, individual ant might drown. Yeah, yeah. And and furthermore, you know, when they're on the move, they therefore don't need to find ways around obstacles, and they can survive heavy rainfalls and get to safe ground over a period of months if they have to by forming these little ant rafts. Wait, <sighs> what? Yeah. Months on the ant raft. Months on the ant raft. Yeah. Made out of ants. Out of- <laughs> by ants. For ants. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so it's pretty cool. Um, and not only really gross, but could lead to maybe like self-healing structures. Sure. Yeah. They've talked about that sort of like the, if you imagine the tiny robotics of the future, yeah. robotics that are so tiny, they're, they, they become sort of the, the constituents of a changeable piece of matter. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. A, a material that is self-healing, uh, in order to create infrastructure, which we've talked about before, or even regular structures. Yeah. Uh, you know, like like a self healing car would be or pretty cool. Like a T one thousand. Yeah, for example. Um, sure. Or you know, just for creating modular robots that are able to to join up Voltron style without having to to be you know perfectly formed together. Sure. You know, less like Tetris blocks and right, right, right. more like an Smart. ant raft. Smart. Well, clay. That, and that I can easily see that being really important. Uh, you know, going back to the Mars example, it's a, it's an easy one to make because that's a environment that we ourselves are incapable of exploring right now for various reasons. Mm-hmm. And if we were able to send a hive, like a colony essentially, of robots that had this sort of capability and they were essentially traveling in a swarm, they would be able to encounter multiple types of environments and be able to adapt to whatever the, the, the needs were at the time to be able to overcome them. So they came up to like a small ledge. They might be able to build a ladder out of themselves and then enough of them climb the ladder and then pull the rest back up behind them. And then you've, continue on. So. And the, these and, ants actually do things like that. Yeah. I mean, oh, they, sure. they not only build rafts out of themselves, they build bridges out of themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, you, you can easily see that as being an important thing for robotics as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, if they fall off of a ledge, being able to recover from that kind of damage. I still uh, do not approve of this in ants, but I do approve of it in robots. So I'm just I'm making a stand. What if they're biting stinging robots? Why well, would you create that, Joe? I I wouldn't create it. Humanity. I'm looking at this this bald villain across the that? table bald from humanity. me. Bald villain? I'm the one who doesn't <laughs> want to get eaten by ants. There's nothing villainous no, about I'm it. No, I'm saying you'd create the ants to use against other people, not oh, against yourself. No, I, I totally do that. That's true. <laughs> I mean, I, I could also see myself with a magnifying glass and, and these ants are saying, no, Mr. Ant, I expect you to die. But uh, no. I would never do that. You know, I almost made a pun when I was describing this episode about how we're going to take a magnifying glass to the oh. subject of ant futures oh dear but that's just too cruel i i honestly as much as i've been grousing about ants i do find this kind of behavior to be absolutely fascinating it is a little unnerving to watch videos of it it's a little it just looks weird i didn't watch any of these videos on purpose because i was terrifically creeped out by the concept it's it's a little creepy when you watch it they're great they're they're pretty amazing to watch these ants building physical structures out of their own bodies so that the colony can continue on whatever course it's on my favorite part i don't think that you guys could probably hear it but i was just shaking my head really vigorously yeah, no no, no. after no, after no, no, we're no, no, done no. we're gonna watch the video where they've oh. got the ant raft oh. they got a fire ant raft floating in the water and you just see a researcher poking it with forceps <laughs> just dipping it under the water they dip the raft and it just bobs right back up to the top it has uh, some hydrophobic qualities to the raft which yeah. means that it's actually repelling water off the surface of it which is pretty phenomenal yeah so yeah this there, there's 
not only is it a fascinating behavior from a biological standpoint, but like we said, it does, in fact, serve as inspiration, as so many elements of nature have served before for people who are working in the field of robotics and other fields as well in, in the world of technology. So in the future, we may very well have much more technology that is based upon this this ant behavior and be able to take advantage of it in ways we can't even anticipate right now. This podcast has basically turned into about a quarter of it is the biomimicry show. Yeah. Uh, biomimicry yeah. is great. I mean, I, Animals are fascinating and robots are pretty cool. So, yeah. So uh, my plan is next time when I'm not feeling uh, well and you guys have planned yet another episode about some form of creepy crawly. I will continue to stay out <laughs> until you have recorded it. Um, no, I, I really, as much as I'm putting on an act here, I really do think it's pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, I still don't like fire ants, but that's for, because oh, I get stung by them and I don't like that. But, um, yeah, neat stuff. If you guys out there have any suggestions for topics that we can tackle in about insects or anything or about else, anything else. Yes. Yeah. Uh, if you have any, but mostly cute, about insects, if you have any cute, cuddly animals that you want us to talk about, let us know. Uh, or insects or anything else about the future you are curious about, let us know. You can, us, you can send us a message. I'm fine with snakes. <laughs> you can send us a message with a, uh, going to Twitter or Facebook or Google+. Plus. Our handle at all three is FWThinking. We look forward to hearing from you, and you'll hear from us again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. 
Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.